everyone, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here as always with dear friend, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you today? I am so good, Marty. How are you? Great. Um, looking forward to going through this topic. I, I know that we had some questions come through our Facebook page and even in my coffee talk about isometrics. And also, we see a ton of things online now on Instagram. It's like, hey, I know where that came from, so why not use this as a topic? Oh, I think it's great as well, because, you know, you're going to have clients where isometrics can be so beneficial if you do it right. But a lot of times we get the we get the comment and I know the question and we saw this is what is isometrics and how do you really do it? And so we are hoping that after today's episode, um, talking all about isometrics here on the Master Instructor Roundtable, that you guys are going to walk out feeling even more confident in the material. I'm betting that they will, but let's, you know, we'll get started and see where it goes. So from an introductory standpoint, first, Wendy, we have to talk about why they're important. And, you know, going back to when you and I learned the model, like, you know, a century ago, it seems like late nineties, early two thousands. That's really where I saw isometrics really put into them from a fitness standpoint. I was using them in sports medicine, but I didn't really see the carryover. So obviously we're going to talk about why the OPT model has always had different phases that focus on the isometric. And then, you know, so that's point one and two, and then learn how to apply some of these into your training program. So it's not just being done, it's being done properly and with a purpose. Yes. And, you know, and it, those of you guys that have been with NASM for a while and have gone through our corrective exercise um, specialization a long time ago, when we were doing manual muscle testing, I mean, now we're doing the mobility assessments, which are so much easier. However, you know, that is a component of isometrics. And if you are also getting clients that are straight um, out of, you know, surgery or you're working with a physical therapist, a lot of times isometrics are going to be utilized and really try to help, you know, specific muscles fire at the right time, which is all, like basically what we're trying to get the body to do is have the right muscles fire at the right time and the right plane of motion. So, you know, they are extremely important when utilized correctly. And, you know, I don't think we put this in here, but go back to the Charles Atlas days. That's what, you know, he was doing um, isometrics back in the early 1900s. So he was way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. And believe it or not, I was not born yet. We always talk about how old we are, but y'all, that was, we're, we were still, we're not quite that old, but let's actually define what isometrics are. So when we're talking about muscle tension that's created without a change in the muscle length with no visible movement of the joint. So you're going to hear us talk a lot about phase, you know, phase one and the stabilization training. That's often when we use it as well as in the corrective exercise. So, you know, keep that in mind, little to no joint motion when we're doing this and applying the same amount of force. And then if we go back and look at the other bullet points, you're gonna see that when a muscle is exerting the force that's equal to that same force that's being placed upon, it's gonna lead with no change, but you're actually getting that muscle to fire. And so when this occurs, when the contractile force is equal to the resistance force, and then there's gonna be no change in the length itself. And so you're really basically, you know, oftentimes I think people are like, you know, trying to, when they apply force, I see this all the time, Marty, and tell me if you've seen the same, when people are trying to do isometrics and they're doing it manually. So instead of like going against a wall or a fixed object, they're actually providing the force. Oftentimes they're, they're pushing as hard, meaning the practitioner or the, the trainer are pushing down pretty hard against the resistance and trying to get that client to fight it. When in all reality, you want to start light to make sure that that right muscle is firing and that they're in the right 
um, positioning in order to get that you know specific muscle to fire the way that it's intended to fire. So it's not about trying to crush someone and, and show how strong you are. Because remember, when, when you're working with some of these muscles, they're very weak in an individual. So sometimes you're going to feel like you're barely applying any force and they can, they, you know, they, they struggle producing that same force that you're applying. So start very light. And then at that point, you can start giving different percentages as you move forward. Yeah, great point. And if you're doing manual, you know, we got to look at scope of practice and have you been trained properly? Do you know joint angles and positions? Because if you're just randomly pushing on people, you could put them in a bad position and push. But if you're doing manual, this is not maximal isometric strength. There's exercise you'll see in here that you can use for that. This is kind of like a jump start to a muscle just to get it to kind of think about it, turn on and get ready to go. So you should never be struggling, nor should the client. It's just you're trying to teach them this is how to fire this muscle. This is how to fire this muscle. Then you can go into other, you know, uh, more challenging versions of that if necessary. Indeed. There you go. So, Wendy, I know you love the plank. So obviously a plank exercise requires, and this is why, Wendy, when I built this one, I put requires, not is, an isometric contraction of the muscle lumbopelvic hip complex. And if anybody wants to know why, Wendy and I have done many core topics, we like the ability for someone to come up and out of that plank to control that eccentric and the concentric as well. But when you're in your plank position, it does require whether it's three seconds, five seconds, maybe 10 seconds, an isometric hold where, as Wendy said, everything gets into lockdown, five kinetic chain checkpoints in order you're firing the right muscles. We're not going to go through all the details of it here on the plank because this is just more about isometrics, but we covered that in other master instructor roundtables. So this is why it's important, but we'd still want somebody breathing. You know, we, let's not do an isometric of the diaphragm. <laughs> You know, that's just, a, we could have put that in there as a bullet point. So that isometric contraction can also be observed when somebody pauses during a normal resistance training exercise in between lifting and lowering phases. So if you go back to the model in a strength phase, it's two, zero, two, and then another zero, which means you're immediately changing. But if I'm doing stabilization, I might be in a four, two, two. So it's four second eccentric, two second isometric, then a two second concentric. So that's again, NESM, in my opinion, was the first to really talk about tempos and that, and now it's standard in the industry, but this is why it was in there because we understood there's a point in time that you have to work concentric, eccentric, and isometric. And there's times during different parts of the model where you're going to remove the isometric, but you've earned that throughout. So it's critical to follow those tempos. Yeah, tempo. And, and I think a lot of times when people are saying, oh, I need to do isometric exercises, well, every exercise should have that isometric component, like you said, unless that middle number is a zero. And it's basically the change. So the, the change between concentric and eccentric, when that middle number, and again, it's always going to be written eccentric, isometric, concentric, and then a lot of times we'll put an isometric, especially now if you're looking at the new content. Um, you know, that's important because you want to make sure that in that pause, that they're pausing with the correct five kinetic chain checkpoints, that everything is dialed in. And if not, make the correction before you go into the lowering phase or the concentric contraction. So therefore, the entire movement of that spectrum is moving the way that it's intended to move because you start doing something wrong, you're training your brain to establish that incorrect movement pattern, which is definitely what you're trying to avoid. No doubt. And I think it's critical that we've talked about, you've got to earn the right to do the more advanced exercises and you've got to be able to decelerate and change direction under control and isometrics or, or a huge part of that. And you have to be able to maintain posture while extremities are moving. 
So that's another reason why we want to do isometrics. And then sometimes you need to target a particular muscle to get it going. Yes. That's why in the corrective exercise is still very slow movements is to make sure the right muscle is actually working. But that kind of brings us into the next, you know, next slide that you're going to see here when we're talking about isometric contractions, that's anytime the body is in motion, numerous muscles have to create that, you know, or creating that isometric action that's going to dynamically stabilize the peripheral joints and the spine. So one of the reasons we do phase one little to no joint motion, especially in the core, is because all those little muscles have to maintain activation in order to keep us in the correct posture and positioning. So, for example, when you're doing the squat, the abductor and adductor muscles, so inner and outer thigh muscles, are contracting isometrically to prevent that unnecessary movement or instability in the frontal and transverse planes. While the glutes, which are a prime mover, and the quads, another prime mover, and the hamstrings are working concentrically and eccentrically in the sagittal plane. So remember that they're, you know, even though we're focusing on the quads and glutes during a squat on the way up, those are your prime movers. There are multiple, multiple synergists that have to help maintain that positioning. And so look at that, you know, look at the entire um you know, exercise as a whole. And if you start to see some wobbling, and so when we're talking about the frontal and transverse plane, if you start to see the knees wobble or the hips start to move in unnecessary um, positioning, then you know that there's some weakness there and that you might want to step back, take the bar off and go through proper movement patterns to ensure that when you start loading it, like you see this lady in the picture, they can maintain proper alignment throughout. Yeah. And, you know, we know that there's questions all the time where sometimes we're not, you know, focusing on activating certain muscles, but they are going to be working isometrically as you're doing these multi-joint exercises. So for any of you that are just jumping in right now, you've got myself, Marty Miller here with Wendy Batts on the Master Instructor Roundtable, and we are talking all things isometrics. So we're going to continue on here, but we've gone over what they are, why we need them, and then we're going to start showing you some maybe more advanced versions of isometric training. So Wendy, uh, what we'll do is we'll jump here to the next slide and we'll just talk about some of the benefits. So I'll start it out here. So first and foremost, when a muscle, you know, if we want to challenge a muscle's ability to fire, we know that we need time under tension. So an isometric, whether it's a two second, four second, you know, I don't do a ton of 10 to 20 second isometrics unless I'm doing maybe like a plank, you know, so maybe three to five seconds, I follow the model. You get that increased time under tension. The muscle really gets that time to fire. So if we go back to the corrective exercise continuum, we have intramuscular and intermuscular, you know, control. So intra, think about like intranet that's within a smaller group. Inter is like the internet. So intramuscular coordination is when I'm firing a muscle or maybe a small amount of muscles. And that's what isometrics are really good for. They're incredibly safe because there's no joint motion. So people with injuries, people coming into fitness, isometrics are incredibly safe because one, you're not getting that eccentric muscle um, contraction potentially. And that's where sometimes the muscle soreness comes from. So you get that intramuscular coordination. They're incredibly safe. They're a great warm-up or a targeted warm-up as well. And that's why we've, we use them. And then they're great at strengthening the connective tissue, that time under tension incredibly convenient, right? So I travel a lot. Wendy, you know that I could do a full body workout with isometrics. I could do my bridges with a five to 10 second hold. I could do side planks. I could do planks. I could do 
pushes against a wall. Even if I want to do a two arm push, I could do a one arm push and watch my body do a counter rotation. I can do shoulder taps. And when I move one arm, the other side has to stabilize isometrically. You can do a squat and hold or a lunge and hold. So, so many different things. I use them a ton for posture. I have what I call my posture reset. I'm always by a computer. I'm always, don't laugh at me, Wendy. You know me, I plan everything out. But I'm always doing my shoulder retractions and depressions and I'm holding it for five to 10 seconds. I want those muscles to learn to fire properly and be able to maintain that position. Joint stability, like I said, with the co-contraction where I'm doing a high plank, you're forcing all the muscles around that joint to contract and stabilize. Again, we want to be in our proper five connect gene checkpoints. We've looked at research. They can help reduce bl uh, blood pressure. Now we want you to do that beautiful breathing. And Wendy, a plug, we did a wonderful master instructor roundtable with Mikey Watts on breathing. So if you add in all of his knowledge here with these isometrics, you got some great stuff going. And then for the main areas of the spine, right? My neck should be able to hold its position, my low back. So these are incredibly important for pain relief, low back and neck. And then also if the knee starts to move around a little bit and you do your isometrics, you're teaching it to stay in the plane of motion it's designed to. So we could have listed more, but I think that's enough for now. Yes. And I think oftentimes we, we feel as trainers that we have to load everyone, you know, use all of these beautiful different types of equip, you know, machines and equipment that's out there. But, you know, if you can't control your own body weight, you can't challenge yourself with the time under tension. Like you said, with, you know, doing a four to one count push up, guys, is really, really difficult. And, you know, if you don't believe me, try it and then add that plus at the top again, as Marty was saying, to maintain proper alignment and positioning. You know, you see those clients that have the wings. So the shoulders that pop up, you know, if you do that, the serratus anterior, which is, you know, it's supposed to help stabilize that shoulder. Um, it, you know, when it gets weak, it, it causes those shoulder blades to, to come up. And so really focusing and having and I think the big thing is really intention, you know, being very intentional with all of your movements. And, you know, when you're doing that, that really does play an important role in isometrics and to ensure, like you said, that, you know, everything is, is firing, challenging, and, you know, you're really retraining the body how to work together. Well said, Wendy. <laughs> and I think <laughs> in the future, anyway. you should demonstrate a 4 2 one tempo on one. Oh, of my goodness. Yes. Well, I don't know if I could go 12 to 20 right now, but I would definitely try. How about that? <laughs> no doubt. So when you want to jump in here? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, as Marty said, use the model. I mean, guys, everything about NASM, one of the one reasons Marty and I love it, one of one of many, many reasons is because, yes, it takes the guest workout. It really does help someone build a foundation. It's making sure that the body's working based on an assessment. If you notice compensations, why are those compensations happening? Well, if you're not sure, look at that at the solutions table. That's going to help you really look at the muscles that might be underactive that are you know, causing or allowing those compensations, what's overactive that's causing those compensations to really try to realign the body to get the best output. So when we go then into phases two, three, and four, really focusing on strength, we know that the stabilizers are firing the way that they're intended to fire. The prime movers are now moving that weight that you've now applied. And then of course, you know, when you get into power and you speed things up, everything is being executed as ideally as possible. But with the research that we're that we've done, you're going to see different percentages of a, an estimated one rep max on someone. So when when you're looking at, you know, can someone do a, you know, a chest press and we're telling you to do a four to one, that's only a certain percentage of their one rep max. But the 12 to 20 reps that we give you 
if they can you know do 12 and it was easy then you want to increase the weight if 12 was your goal if they can't do it then it's too heavy you know the tempos really are important and you know one thing that i i think we take that for granted because you know this past week i was actually you know working with a um, collegiate tennis team and their strength coach is now taking the corrective exercise through nasm and one of the things that he said to me that he never learned in college was the importance of tempo and he's like you know what the tempo with the four two one count is epic and i thought that was amazing that you know here i am this this you know he's in charge of collegiate you know and this is a major university guys major university and for him to say that the tempo was epic and that he learned so much just from that you know it kind of makes you take a step back because we take it for granted so thinking about you know again the body as a whole find those compensations go through the corrective exercise continuum look at that as a, a an extensive warm-up or extended warm-up for someone go through inhibit by you know foam rolling go through lengthening by stretching the muscles that that need to be stretched go through activation and activation is really where isometrics can play an important role on trying to get those weaker muscles to fire correctly and then integrate it do upper and lower combinations marty and i love the squat to row we talk about it all the time but we're actually combining the upper and lower body together and showing the brain how the body is supposed to move very intentionally so therefore when we do the individual body parts and resistance we're, we're, we're fired and ready to go and all muscles are you know activated the way that they're supposed to be so so just keep that in mind that there are so many things that we take for granted but step back and look at the model and realize that the research done was done for a very specific reason to help especially brand new trainers um, and if you do the acute variables the way that we have it listed you will you will have success with every phase that you use throughout the model. Yeah, without a doubt. It's all building blocks, right? And I know, Wendy, cover your ears. I'm going to say it again. You got to earn the right to go through. So, and that's where isometrics play a huge part. If you can't control things under time, under tension, you're not ready to, to do things at that next level. So, Wendy, one of the things that um, I showed from a product that I get to play around with here is the other thing, too, about isometrics is the rate of force development, right? So you do need technical machinery to judge this, but this is critically important, whether you're a, a youth or an elite athlete or a senior athlete is let's say I'm going to put uh, isometric and eventually I get to 50 pounds of force, take out rehabilitation, take out when somebody's injured. But if it's just an activation, it's how quick can I spike to that 50? Right. So now we're not telling you that you have to go out and try to purchase any of this equipment, but we want you to know that there's even a, a layer deeper on how sports performance and rehabilitation uses isometrics because of this equipment now is you want to see how quick someone can get to their peak and then how long they can hold it smoothly. So this is, like I said, I'm privileged to be able to work on this piece of equipment. So you look at those lines that are bouncy. Yeah, they're doing an isometric, but they don't have good neuromuscular control, right? So this is the kind of stuff you'll see when someone goes into a lunge and you hold it and they're kind of shaking. This would translate if they had, if they were doing something like that on this piece of equipment where you should see they could immediately apply the force you want and then hold it smooth. So easier to see with sensitive equipment, but you'll see if somebody's like wiggling or moving, you can just imagine now that this is what it would look like if they were being assessed on this type of product. Yeah. And force plates. I mean, you know, the amount of information that you can get from force plates is phenomenal because you can also measure, 
um, asymmetries. And we did that with, you know, a, 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 you know, some of the top athletes that were out there. We wanted to see before they went into their sport, when we were doing all of their assessments, we did have access to the force plates and they had to do these isometric contractions. And what you saw from left foot to right foot or left arm to, you know, to right arm or, you know, throughout different movements was astounding because these are the highest level athletes, but they're one side dominant. And so as a trainer, it allowed me to see weakness on the maybe opposing side or even sometimes their dominant side because of repetitive and overuse. So it is really good information, but it just shows that, you know, you can still assess if you have access to these types of, of you know, graphs like Marty's showing, you can get a ton of information to help you better the program design to increase, you know, their strength as well as power. Yeah, just athletes are better compensators, but that's why there's so many injuries. Yes, yes. So, all right, we'll continue on. So the carryover effect, so why are we doing an isometric? So during isometric exercise, strength is gained mostly at the joint angle that you're working, but there is a carryover about 15 degrees on both sides. So you don't have to do that many positions when you look at that 30 degree carryover before you can get through a full uh, joint range of motion or, you know, complete muscle action spectrum. So, but the further you go away from the trained angle, the lesser the strength gains are, but that doesn't mean there's no strength gains. So that's where you may do like, like if you were looking at the squat here, let's say, you know, he's above 90 degrees. So let's say he's at 120. You may go down to like, because of the 15 you may go down about 105, then you may go down to 90, right? So you've hit three angles and now you get that carryover. So just something to think about. Uh, this is a little more technical in the use of isometrics, but just understand that there is a variability on both sides. And then you can change the range of motion as long as it's within the five kinetic chain checkpoints and pain-free. Always pain-free. If not, there's an issue. <laughs> and today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Wendy Bats, and Marty Miller are talking about isometrics. So again, when we're thinking about the amount of force that is exerted equals the amount of force that's you know being produced. Um, that's super important because we want to see no movement whatsoever. And so like you can see in this example here, you know, we have actually had some, some clients do this. They were professional skiers um, where they needed to be in these positions for a long amount of time. They needed to make sure that their quads could withstand that. And then, you know, so there are, again, you know, think of different sports, how could this be applied and, you know, what amount are they producing and, you know, what do you need to set that weight to, to make sure that there's no movement. So it doesn't always just have to be body weight, but you also want to think, you know, again, you can do a lot of strength training with this and it's not harming the joints because they're just fighting it. You're making sure they're maintaining good alignment. You know, in this position, his feet are out a little bit on the left side. I would straighten that up, but everything else looks pretty good um, otherwise. But, uh, you know, I think, I think we, like I said, we take isometrics sometimes for granted, but there's so many great uses for it. Absolutely. And again, we pick the best pictures possible. So let's go through some variations. And again, Wendy and I didn't take these pictures. So if there's a little bit of a change in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, like the trap bar deadlift, I'm sorry. Yes, I see his right foot turning out. So I'll say it before Wendy does. <laughs> but just starting kind of left to right. Now we're getting into barbell work, right? So you can see she's doing, you know, she put it underneath like what we would call maybe like the J hooks or where the bar would go on top. And you're pulling at that angle. And the bar just locks in against the safety racks. And now you can pull as heavy as you want without the risk of carrying that load. And as soon as you stop, there's an immediate decrease in force where if she had to have plates on there, 
she's still responsible for that weight some way, somehow, right? Then in the bottom, as we go down from her, the standard external rotation, we've seen that a hundred thousand times in rehabilitation, right? And again, we will work different angles for sure. Then next to that, before we go up, you see a retraction and hopefully depression, a great part of that postural reset. Just above that, it's more of like a split squat. So he's coming up with the bar underneath the, you know, the safety rails again. He's got one leg over the bar. So he's in that split squat and trying to almost do like a power jump. Then you've got the dead bar, tra uh, the trap dead bar, which or the, man, I can't say that. The trap bar deadlift. So I got it. So that's another great exercise. Then you've got the wall, again, like a sprinter's position. And then you could just have hangs, right, for that grip and shoulder integrity. So these are just some of the kind of, we did one rehabilitation type or warm up with the external rotation. Then some of these other ones go from posture into true performance. So isometric can be a huge part of that. Nicely done. <laughs> Except the one brutal on the trap bar. And I, I mean, I always did the sideline leg raises because again, you yeah. know, most people are really struggling a lot with, you know, glute meat and glute, you know, basically outer hip, anything on the outer hip activation. And so, you know, what's very interesting is if somebody lifts their leg and you just try to have them hold it again with ideal positioning, maintaining proper core and everything, and then trying to hold just, just the, the amount of, of whatever their leg, you know, however heavy their leg is, it's amazing to see how most people struggle with that. And um, it's, it's very interesting for sure. <laughs> you, you just brought back sweat in my head because when I was doing all my years of martial arts, we would do wall drills and oh, yeah. we would be pump, pumping kicks and then we'd have to hold one. Mm -hmm. Oh my Lord. Right. I would rather just sit there and pump kicks out. And then all of a sudden we have to hold it for 10 seconds, pump another 20 kicks, hold that 10 second hold was so much worse than just firing off the kicks so well and nice. and you know nice. those of you guys that also listen to uh myself and this is a bad plug i know but ken miller and i actually had one of my favorite people in the entire world mr grant hill on one of our uh, random fit episodes and you know we started doing a um, you know rapid fire i was asking questions and i wanted to know but one of the questions that i asked him because i knew the answer was what was the one exercise that I would give you that you absolutely hated? And, and it was mainly because he was, it was hard, was just a sideline leg rip, lift with the ball. So he had to, you know, push back. So he ended, ended up having to go slightly into hip extension and then lift and hold and do those four, two, one repetitions and that two second hold at the top and do that for 15 reps. And again, very, very established, a very successful NBA player, we did this throughout his entire career and, you know, and for him to say that that's harder than anything else that he's ever done really does show you that sometimes taking some of the, what we would consider basic exercises and applying them into a program can be super beneficial for everybody. Um, and that you don't have to think because he's a pro athlete, he needs to be doing power in all reality, he needed to be doing more corrective work in order to establish that power later on, especially when he played. So, um, so Marty, I'm glad that you thought about, you know, this, I'm glad the questions came in on Facebook, because again, that gives us topics that we can, you know, share with you. If you ever have any questions or concerns about something, please, please, you can contact us here in a few minutes, but, but overall today, we just talked about the benefits of isometrics, make sure that you're utilizing the NASM OPT model, as well as the corrective exercise models that the NASM has provided for you. 
be creative in your programming. You know, it doesn't always have to be stabilization and body weight. We showed you some stuff to do that you can do on a strength and power and, you know, have fun with it, but make sure you utilize it. Yeah, the key thing is have fun, but understand the purpose behind it. And then from there, you're going to have, uh, you know, really be able to spice up the workouts and get more out of everything. So Wendy, as always, great information. Why don't you give these people, amazing people, uh, the contact information so they can get in touch with you. Yeah, if you guys have other topics you want Marty and I to cover, always feel free to reach out to us. Or if you have questions on anything that we just covered, you can also contact us. And you can do that by emailing me at wendy.bats at nasm.org. Or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then the man behind the scenes is our amazing producer, Eric's throwing mine up there right away, dr.martymiller72. And email marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, as always, thanks so much for your contributions. And most importantly, thank you all for attending today's Master Trucker Roundtable. We look forward to seeing you next week.